Happy Christmas, everyone, and welcome to Farmland in Review. 2018 is almost behind us, so let's look back at some of the biggest issues that farmers battled on the ground over the last 12 months. First up, the weather. Shane Fitzgerald is a dairy farmer, milking 180 cows near Portlaw in County Waterford. Like a lot of farmers, Shane has been battling to overcome the challenges caused by the drought in recent weeks. It's been really two months, I suppose, now there's been hardly any rain at all. Like, you know, we got none in June or, or July at all, really. A small bit of one Sunday, maybe two millimetres is about it. Um, so it's just been like, like the whole country, it's been just baking heat for the last, last couple of months, really. The, the grass growth's actually been nil for the last month, really. Like, I've stopped measuring it now for the last three weeks, so there's no point. Um, it's depressing to go out and, and to see the same amount of grass in the field as last time, or even, even less at times. Like. Since grass growth has halted, Shane has had to start feeding silage to his herd. This raises some concerns ahead of next winter. It looks like we've only about 50% of what we need at the moment, and we're eating into that as we speak, so um, we got a good first cut, but our second cut had to be basically zero grazing fed out to the cows, so we've no second cut. Um, we're really relying on, on getting maybe a third cut maybe in September if the, the rain comes, but it's getting, it's getting late in the year now even for that. Um, and we do have some, we have 20 acres of maize as well, um, which we wouldn't normally have, so we're hoping to get a good crop of that maybe, and the rest is going to have to be made up with, with concentrates really. So we're basically, we're spending 400 euro a day and just supplements alone, like um, just for the milking cows. Um, that's 180 cows, so it's working out like it's, it's 220 a day, 2 euro 20 a day that we wouldn't normally have. Um, and it's like it's 2,800 a week, so it's a serious extra cost. And that's only just holding, holding the production. Um, so, yeah, it's going to, the same for everyone though, like, you know, there's going to be big bills to be paid back, like, and, and it's going to be, um, yeah, it's going to be a tough, it's going to be tough the rest of the year and next year as well, like, it's going to have a knock-on effect for everyone, really. Once rainfall levels return to normal, farmers will still have to face the challenges that have arisen as a result of this summer's drought. I probably won't believe it's going to rain till I see it now at this stage because every, every week they seem to be saying it's going to rain towards the end of the week and when time comes around we don't seem to get any so um, yeah like even if it rains today like it's going to be probably it's going to be two or three weeks anyway before there's any enough grass on the fields even to, to graze and like you know when we actually get rain we're probably going to have to pack up the cows in the sacrifice field and just feed them just silage just to give the grass a chance because we don't want to be chasing our tails to the rest of the year and then it's maybe going to be into September probably October at this stage before we even contemplate getting maybe a third cut, like so. Everyone's going to go late this year, and like, I don't know if we're going to, to graze it towards the end of the year if we stop it for silage, so it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be hard to know. It's going to be a tough year, really, for the rest of the year. Have you heard any news about the state of the way your trees are? No, is? no, but we're next to, we're with Macron Farmer, so we're next to the IFA, so I'm hoping that everything's still yeah, there. We're, we're exhibiting inside, but we can't get in now, obviously, so uh, I don't know what's going to happen. Well, it's a big loss, a big disappointment, a, a day loss that we were really looking forward to. We have all way from Cork this morning. There seems to be fair devastation on stands, so I'd say from a health and safety point of view, it would have been fairly obvious to anybody this morning that the show wasn't going to happen today. Today would be a big loss for business. Oh, a massive loss. Yeah. The second day has always been the business stay at the National Clown with the regarding the schools and that coming for our business anyway, yeah. like you know. Yeah. But there's a yeah, sure. You win some and lose some. Yeah, yeah. I think they let us know a little bit too late. We got here at seven o'clock and they wouldn't let us on. Could have just broke it down, but hey ho. No, listen, there's um, people helping here that we never seen or heard of before. So they're turning up from everywhere. So hopefully we'll be up and trading by tomorrow morning. Very good. So you are hoping to be up and ready by tomorrow. Where yeah, we come from farming background. We're used to weather. <laughs> Very good. And do you have any idea about the cost? What's it cost you today? Yeah, um, I suppose all the tents have um, power had to be cut for safety. So everything that was in fridges and freezers has to be taken out. So um, it's hard to know, you know, tills smashed, things like that. Oh, okay. Tents, tents twisted, but you know, we're used to it. Um, so there's a few talks about rescheduling it for Friday. What do you think about that? Yeah, that'd be great because there's still a lot of stock. All the stock was ready because it's an intense three days. So if it came on Friday, that would sort of balance everything and make a huge difference. Obviously, staff would be a bit complicated, but sort of everybody's behind us here. So hopefully it'll be OK. Brian, can you tell us a bit about the motions in the camp this morning? Uh, very disappointed uh, in terms of, like, you know, I think this should have been called an awful lot sooner. They probably knew from probably four or five o'clock in the morning that it was going to be a building site. 
and to save an awful lot of people uh, journeys on the road. They should have called it an awful lot earlier before the buses started moving um, from around the country and that. So I'm very disappointed on that fact, like, you know. Can you give us a bit of an idea how much this costs your business financially or um, in terms of labour and things like that? Um, well, over we say over the second day is the most important day when it comes to the schools and that, but uh, it's the most busiest days for the for myself and probably people in the same field as myself because it's all the bus be coming on the second day, like you know, with the schoolgoers and that. So kind of more or less about forty percent. And are you hoping to be up and running for tomorrow? Or there's talks about um, having it on Friday as well. How do you think about that? It all depends. Uh, the way you look around at the moment there, it's like a building site, so I don't know from a safety side of it, it would be a good idea or not, like, you know. And, and John, as you can see behind you, there's extensive damage done to your son. Can you tell us about how you feel this morning coming in to see this? Yeah, well, like, obviously we, we found out off your own app that basically that um, it wasn't going ahead till 11 o'clock this morning, so that was fair enough. We said we'd come in for 10. So we were trying to come in the road at 10 o'clock this morning and it was just, everything was just stopped. So we decided we'd go into Tullamore then and pull in because we knew it was going to be cancelled. We'd make cars on the road turn around. Some farmers have been left counting the cost of high winds experienced last week. One of those is Brendan Martin from County Meath. He had 43 acres of maize sown in one field. 38 of which he estimates were lodged by Storm Alley. Um, we're in a field of maize here that got lodged last Wednesday with Hurricane Alley. Um, I was in here the evening beforehand and I was looking up at it and admiring the massive crop I had and came in two o'clock yeah, on Wednesday and it was all flattened to the ground. Broke about knee high and lay over. So we're here since yesterday morning around 8.30 trying to harvest this um, before it deteriorates. Um, seemingly it's okay for a week but it's not okay for two weeks but, uh, we do contracting as well so I decided to get our own out of the way first before we go out and hire because there's um, probably 200 acres of stuff similar to this Difficult weather conditions earlier in the year also affected the crop yeah, Well the spring came very late um, I suppose the same for everybody all through the country um, we were due to sow spring corn and maize and at the same time near the end of all the sowing, all the silage come in, the first cut silage. So like there's a massive workload on, we had to hire in help. Myself and Stephen there were partners in the silage and the maize. Um, but like the first week of May, we started sowing this within great conditions. And then the drought hit and they got hard to get going. So it was, it was a struggle all, all summer watching it now, but it took off. And it actually did really well towards the end um, until now. Before Storm Alley struck, Brendan had planned to harvest the crop this Saturday. Now he believes losses will exceed 100 euro per acre. So I estimate around two, two and a half ton losses per acre. Like um, it's just impossible to get it all up. It is actually stuck to the ground, and we have to cut it one way. So we can go. We're cutting it the way it fell. So it's actually hanging out in front, and you're cutting it at the bottom and dragging it in. But the some of it is actually on the ground that he can't get. So there's not a lot we can do about it. Farmers overcoming extreme weather conditions has been a consistent theme over the past 12 months. From this time last year it was a challenge. Like we'd maize in this field last year and it was a challenge to get it out of it with the wet. Like there was tractors stuck all over the field. Actually we didn't even get to cut some of it because it was so wet. And then straight into a winter we didn't really get an autumn at all. It went from summer to winter. Then the spring was the winter again and then straight into the drought conditions. However, Brendan is confident that farmers will find ways to adapt. Farmers are fairly stubborn. <laughs> yeah, sure, look at what else they're going to do. Um, it's a fact of life, like, you can't determine the weather. Like, I, when I sold this crop, like, if I knew it was going to be windy, I would have sown a shorter variety or an earlier variety, get it out before the wind, but you can't predict the weather. The potato harvest was kicking into top gear this week on Kyo's farm in North County, Dublin. Kyo's began harvesting potatoes for crisping in the first week of September. But Tom explained the main potato harvest began last week. Uh, this year it was, it was a very late harvest. Uh, we didn't kick off ourselves and our own farm till around the first week in September. Uh, that was with our Lady Rosetta for crisping, uh, which is normally the first. Um, so uh, that harvest led right through until the first week in October. Behind me here, this is our Morris Piper. So this is actually the start of our table potato harvest, uh, which is very, very late. Normally we'd be harvesting 
for a store probably second third week in September and here we are third week in October and uh, we're only getting going so uh, we have a very very late and long harvest ahead of us. The drought was a big issue on farms this year. Tom explained that parts of Kyo's farm received just two inches of rain in 12 weeks. Potato crops need at least one inch of rain per week in July and August. Was was an, was an issue. Uh, we had a very late spring, which which uh, obviously led us off to a, to a very late start. And then we had the the potatoes really just sat in drought for about twelve weeks uh, without without rain. This particular field we're in at the minute was the only field we actually got water to. So this field was heavily irrigated, um, but it's only about fifteen percent of our crops, and the rest of the the rest of the fields unfortunately didn't. And obviously that's having a, a knock on effect in yield. Supply will be down this year, but Tom is unsure by how much. Yields are down in the UK and across mainland Europe. As a result, potato prices are up. The supermarket shows that the price of potatoes has increased. Um, We can see that continuing for the rest of the year. Uh, From a supply point of view, it's difficult to say for sure because we really haven't, like we're we're literally only at the start of the the main crop harvest season. Uh, But once the harvest is finished, we'll be able to to make a proper proper calculation on actually where the country stands from a supply point of view. Uh, But we're already starting to see supply issues in England, in mainland Europe. Uh, They're already contacting growers in Ireland looking for supply. Um, but we need it here in Ireland, so it's, we have a very, very difficult year ahead of us. Uh, I think, uh, you know, we, we, we need to mar- supply the Irish market. The Irish consumer is what keeps the potato industry going here in Ireland, and it's important that we continue to, to supply, supply those consumers. Um, you will not see any issues around supply, probably until around April or May of this year, when stocks will start to get a little bit tight, but I, do, I don't see any long-term issues in relation to, you're always going to see potatoes on the supermarket shelves. From an export point of view, yes, I think there will be opportunities for Irish growers to export overseas. Uh, we already are, are getting uh, queries from uh, from retailers and wholesalers uh, in countries outside of Ireland who are experiencing supply issues on, on their side. While the dry weather brought problems like secondary growth, it also made for excellent harvest conditions. In fact, Tom explained that when soil is too dry, potatoes can become bruised. Flavor point of view, we have we have amazing uh, texture uh, because of the dry summer we've had. The dry matters have, uh, in the potatoes are really high, so they're really really flowery. So very very good quality potatoes this year. Um, we have some disease issues. Uh, rooster crop in particular ha- has experienced a lot of secondary growth, where the potatoes actually shut down because of the heat, and then they started to grow again when the rain came in August. And when they started to grow again, they actually started to produce small little baby tubers again, which has led to a lot of issues around around those crops so there'll be there'll be increased losses as a result of that we're blessed in that we've had quite 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 a late autumn uh you know weather conditions have been warm uh we've had little rain uh, up until last week the soil was actually too dry uh, there was a big risk that you could actually bruise potatoes when you're harvesting them uh, over the last few days we've got a little bit of rain which has helped you can see there's a nice bit of moisture in the soil here behind us um but it, it is early days and uh you know we've been in this position many years before and rain has come and we haven't got back into the fields until February. So uh, please God, these nice weather conditions continue. There is no denying that 2018 has been an exceptionally difficult year for all farmers, particularly the beef sector. But farmers have been fighting back against low prices, declining incomes and growing uncertainties. Where did you come from today? I came from uh, near Thai, South Kildare. Okay. Um, so you were up early this morning. Why, why did you come to, to the protest today? Um, really, the reason I'm here is because uh, as a suckler farmer, I see a very desperate situation. Um, I see sucker farmers getting out of the industry all around the country, all around me. Do you see a future in the sector for young people? I think from an income point of view, um, it's very negative at the moment. The incomes on beef farms are very low and for a young person coming in, I think it it really doesn't encourage anybody to um, give their time and their hard work uh, if they're getting nothing, no return from it. So it's very negative at the moment and it's very worrying time because um, we need the beef industry and, and it's a very important part of our exports and it's a very important part of Irish agriculture. 
So where did you come from today? County Leash. Yeah, and you had your breakfast there a minute ago. You were up early. Why did you come up, come up today now to protest? Well, sure. I mean, the issue at the moment on cattle farms is income, 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 income. And something yeah. has to be done about it. Yeah. And uh, we're, here, we're here today, basically, because uh, those issues are not on the table at the forum. And uh, we feel they should be. And uh, if there's any area, any forum that... You know, they are going to be addressed. It's where you have, you know, the factories, the minister or cells sitting around the table and, uh, you know, that's where they need to be discussed. So where did you come from this morning? Uh, I came from North Kildare. And why did you come to the protest? Well, I came to the protest to highlight the issues facing the beef farmers, not only in Kildare and the rest of the country. Like, um, this has been the toughest year I've ever seen on livestock farms. And the extra cost, the low price. Like, farmers are at their wit's end. Beef farmers are at their wit's end. We're constantly being told about this prime product or this, you know, this great product inspect animal that they're selling the whole time, and it's just not delivering a margin for them, you know. And what kind of a farm are you from? Are you from a beef farm? I've actually left beef farming, so I'm I'm chairman of the county in Kildare, West Wicklow, but I I've left beef farming, and I be like I had the option, but like most people don't have that option. Um, like, and I'd ask, I'd ask processors, I'd ask the industry, and I'd ask the government, like, you know, if they can't have an industry that attracts young people and new entrants into it. What future does that industry hold? It holds none. It holds none. What I've seen tonight is very encouraging that, that, that farmers are prepared to stand with us and, and make a stand over this. And where do you think, what do you think the beef plan can achieve where other farm lobby groups have failed? I suppose, well, I, I suppose the first thing uh, that, that we've done is we've listened to the farmers on the ground and, and, and we've made this their plan. While there is a good few uh, farmers in, in the IFA that, that support what we're doing and, and willing to back what we're doing uh, and those people are welcome. The, the people at the top of the IFA have, haven't said to us yet that they're prepared to back our plan. We're an independent group and uh, we intend implementing this plan because it is our plan and we don't want to compromise. Like we, we've got support from the farmers on the ground and, and that's what will drive this plan. We, we've been recruiting now for probably the last six weeks. So our, our numbers today are, are up around six and a half thousand and, and, and they're rising every day. And if we get 40,000 farmers, um, we could be in position to, to control 40 to 50% of the kill. We're uniting farmers and, and we want every farmer that's watching this to come out and support this plan to stand with us and make sure that this works for us what do you think of tonight's meeting very good yeah a lot of valid points there and that and every man has to stick together mm. and as an organization now we'll have to pull together and keep this thing going uh, just the plan of us all coming together on that and uniting and trying to get better prices uh, an excellent meeting an excellent first step in, in, uh, in, in a movement that's badly needed in this country. Farmers probably don't realise the strength they actually have and um, there's no reason why every beef farmer isn't involved uh, at this stage, including dairy farmers. There is no point in suckler farmers using 50, 60, 70% of their single farm payment to work all year for nothing. That has to stop. Well, I think the last talk there was with ICBF too and that it's not, well, we're told it's going to benefit our pockets, but it's not, we're doing a lot of extra weigh in and measuring cattle and all that and it's still less money at the end of the day so the fact he's getting away with motor yeah cheating the farmer has to be stopped there's actually going to be something done now but maybe getting a fair price for cattle and not just having factories dictate and everything like and do you think farmers will stay together will come together under this group I think they will yeah i think they will from what's been said in there and the way everybody's kind of receiving things i think think they will we have to get a better price not just along on the short of it and do you think the beef plan movement will, will, will achieve this? I think if we can build an army, we can go fighting. We need to go fighting. We have a big, big battle ahead of us. Uh, fair play to them. They're coming up with ideas there that can get the thing moving. Delighted to see it and look at any support we can give them, we'll give it to them in terms of ACA support. And I suppose, do you think farmers will come together under the beef plan group? Well, there's no other option on to come out. I'm a former IFA county chairman. I was involved in the meat factory blockade in 2000. As someone who was involved in farming politics that in the past, that they were let down by the by the politically by the people, that are the the officers in the in, in the organisations. That they. Do you think the farmers will come together under this beef plan? They have a very a hell of an uphill struggle. I think from what I take from tonight, uh, farmers are going to stand together. They're going to 
stand up for their for their for their incomes and and, and what to what the what to deserve is which is the cost of production plus the margin. And what would you like to see the beef plan group changing? I'd like to, I'd like to get them to see that uh, farmers are treated better in the factories and. You can, you can get maybe more exporting for uh, wean inside of the country. Like, and do you think the farmers will come together under the beef plan group? I think it'll take. It's going to take a hard battle, but it will. It eventually, it will come when when they see the good things happening. That's when that's when people come on board. This thing, like farmers have been walked into the ground in this country for the past 20, 30 years. I started off farming. I've been, since I started, I feel we're working for less and less every year. That that, that BDG scheme is a disaster. It's after taking thousands out of my pocket and I would stand up tonight and I would say that these people should be brought in and they should be made accountable for it. They're after doing fierce damage and the quality of the cattle that they're telling men to breed. Men can't get a living out of them. And I, I, I just had it up to here and I think it's great that there's a good crowd of men coming out to these meetings and we're going to stand up to them. There's three types of people in this country. There's the lads that talks about what did happen, there's the lads that talk about what's going to happen and there's the lads that don't give a what happened. Well, we're not the lads that don't give a what happened. We're going to stand up and we're going to talk about what is going to happen. We can't look back on the last year without focusing on Brexit. In Ireland, the implications of Brexit for Irish farmers across many enterprises is grey. In 2017, overall exports to the UK increased by approximately 7%, but Brexit has the potential to affect the competitiveness of Irish products. There is a dark cloud hanging over the Irish beef sector in particular, and the possible outcome in March 2019 is alarming. The Irish beef industry is dependent on exports to stay afloat. This comes as approximately 10% of all beef cattle slaughtered in Ireland are consumed domestically. The remaining 90% are exported. Ireland is the fifth largest net exporter of beef in the world. In 2017, Boar Bia figures indicate that the value of Irish beef exports climbed by 5%, amounting to approximately 2.5 billion euros, and the volume of beef available for export increased to 615,000 tonnes. Total exports for 2017 rose to approximately 556,000 tonnes. The UK remains the dominant destination for Irish beef. Just over 50% of all beef exported from Ireland in 2017 was destined for the UK market. 43% went to the rest of Europe, while the remaining six was shipped to non-European markets. Over two years on from the referendum, there is still a great deal of uncertainty surrounding Brexit, and there is no doubt that it will provide a huge challenge for the Irish beef industry going forward. In the UK, how will Irish produce compete with lower priced beef from other world countries? Market diversification and existing market expansion across Europe and indeed worldwide will be the key to the future of the Irish beef industry. We have already witnessed access to the Chinese market in recent months. This market is expected to evolve, but its true value to the Irish beef sector can only be judged on what it yields for farmers. If we have a hard Brexit, where will over a quarter of a million tonnes of Irish beef go and what does it mean for the Irish beef farmer on the ground? The implications of Brexit for Irish and Northern Irish farmers across many enterprises has caused major concern. Last week, a draft proposal for the implementation of Brexit was published. The withdrawal agreement, which was recognised between Britain and the EU, was overwhelmingly supported by the Irish government. However, North of the border, David Brown, the Deputy President of the Ulster's Farmers Union, cautiously welcomed the agreement, outlining that a no-deal scenario would be detrimental to the agri-food economy in the region. I guess at the end of the day, probably to, to answer the question about where we stand uh, in relation to the agreement that has come out, you perhaps have to understand maybe a little bit of the structure, the democratic structure of the Ulster Farmers Union, in that our committees feed in people into our uh, sectoral committees, and those committees then feed into our executive board. So when we... I suppose, have those discussions in relation to, you know, well, at the end of the day, I guess, is, is a no deal an option for us? And I mean, that has been made very, very clear uh, right throughout the structure of the Ulster Farmers Union that no deal would be a bad scenario for agriculture and uh, I suppose the businesses that uh, would struggle in that situation. The idea of a hard border would have serious implications for farmers and business owners operating both north and south of the border. While all sectors would be affected, David highlighted that the sheep export market would be severely impacted. Presently, I mean, in terms of, I think probably the one that's been highlighted time and time again uh, has been uh, the sheep 
uh, business. And uh, you know, at, at present, we export about one percent of our exports of sheep is into the, or sorry, outside of the EU, and uh, you know, somewhere in the region of ninety-five percent of sheep exports from the whole of the UK is actually into EU countries. So. Um, you know, it, it's a case of, you know, if, if we were faced with the situation where we couldn't access those markets, even in the short term, like that would put businesses under incredible pressure. And I suppose at the end of the day, um, that, you know, that's out wider. And even in terms of, you know, there's something like 50% of our sheep go south of the border. Um, dairy produce, something like 30% of our milk. Uh, pigs come north uh, for slaughter. All the ducks in Ireland are slaughtered in the south of Ireland. You know, th things that perhaps, you know, in, I suppose in a, in a wider audience, uh, it's not until you sort of start um, to dive down into those figures and realise, you know, how much uh, export dependent as a country and a nation with we are. The Deputy President also outlined the UFU's objectives and concerns of farmers underground surrounding Britain's withdrawal. It would be foolish of me to say that when we take a position it's going to be universally popular. Um, that's not going to be the case, never would be. With 11,500 farming families that we represent, there's always going to be a variety of views. We don't get into uh, the political, uh, main political issues, but we try to serve. At the end of the day, I serve the, the membership of the Ulster Farmers Union as their office bearer, as a deputy president, and we have to represent those views, and those views are that we can live with this, uh, but we don't, we don't want to face a scenario where we have no deal. But certainly we're expressing a lot of worry about facing the possibility of no deal because um, I think not alone the Ulster Farmers Union, but all of the four UK unions have been making it very clear uh, all along that a no deal scenario um, would be the worst possible outcome for agriculture. Um, and I guess at the end of the day, that is something that well, again, going back to the point of making, you know, we've had to represent the views of our membership in that respect. David finishes store lambs in conjunction with a suckler to beef enterprise. He highlighted that a no-deal outcome could mean that beef would have to compete with lower-priced products from other countries outside of the European Union. In respect to beef, the fact that the whole of the UK is actually not self-sufficient in beef, um, you know, at, at, I suppose at first glance you might think, well, that, that creates opportunity for Northern Ireland because we'd be able to... Uh, move our beef into that marketplace maybe at a higher price. However, when you actually sort of ask the question, you, you discover that you know there is an issue to do with carcass balance, to do with the fifth quarter, which is exported. So it's not it's not a simple uh, just a simple straightforward answer in relation to beef either. And I suppose the real fear from the beef sector has been um, that in a no deal scenario we would face the likelihood, if as I said, we're not self sufficient in the UK in beef of cheaper imports coming in and actually undermining our market. The landslide merger agreement between Lakeland Dairies and Lackpatrick Dairies was also one of the biggest stories of this year. Following on from the news last month that Lakeland Dairies and Lackpatrick Dairies are to merge into one co-op under the Lakeland banner, Agriland asked suppliers from both co-ops what their thoughts are on the matter and how they feel about the merger going forward. Thomas Rogers is a Lakeland dairy supplier from Carnans, County Cavan. He gave his reaction and thoughts on the matter to us. The first talks about the Lakeland was a surprise that Lakeland was going, going, going down that route of a merger. But I suppose it was, looked look scary in the beginning. The war out there, there was a lot of debt and a lot of borrowings and a very badly run place. But the region committee met, the Lakeland region committee met, which I'm a member of, and when they went through the whole figures was teased out, it's, it wasn't as bad as the story was. The debt is not that big, and the overall picture with Lakelands and Lakelands performance and track record over the years, I can see no problems. And I say too as well that there's a few new products in the mix, which I think will help Lakelands basket of products, which should take the help to balance the the, f the price of milk and keep the milk price at a level, a bit level on it is. It shouldn't be as so volatile. So with that, I, I'd be hoping there now that, but it will take time. And I suppose there is big savings. If you look at the maps where Lakeland is and Lepatic's milk, milk platform is, the map, there's bound to be savings made in, in cartage and rationalisation, which should, at the end of the day, cut the, cut the, produce more money for the farmer you'd be hoping that the cost base would be reduced 
and that it should help the price of milk in the long term. The merger is the way forward and like like the savings that you, in, in, a buyout has to be paid. If you have a merger there you can put, you, put a cost in the buyout I'd be hoping that the merger that the money is saved in the merger will benefit the farmer in the long term. I don't think the merger is going to affect milk price. People will say it will. Like global markets is going to affect milk price, and at the moment there's a lot of product about, and now it's not looking what you call real good for next year. With the amount of product that's floating about, like, and I suppose it's you'd be hoping that with the merger that be, the cost base would be reduced, and that maybe it's some of this get more milk down that value added chain, and hopefully take that volatile air powder which is the big powder and butter. Milk price is going to be under pressure. Volume is going to be there. Unless there's control and volume and the environmental things coming in, I suppose. What do you do? The environmental issues there, I suppose, produce more and everyone's trying to produce more. But more is not heavy. You know, if you have more volume and a less, a less price, like, it's what you want. A better price and maybe stabilise the, the volume and get into a value. A value add, the value adder who's the way to go. Big is, is, is all right, but I think there has to be a margin. Whether you're making 100 cows or 500 cows, if you haven't a margin for yourself, it's no, no good. Thomas said he supports the merger and believes it will bring savings in the long run. Transport is probably one thing, that there's crisscrossing on transport there, like, and that there has to be savings made there. Like, two loads going down the one road to lift, to lift two different suppliers. There has to be savings there. I know them savings won't, won't come, they should come back to the farm, but they'll not come back initially. But over time, when, 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 it's, when it all pans out, that I think that Lakeland's cost base will reduce for, for, producing, for producing the product. And the lower their cost base is, the, the more they can be able to pass back to, the, to, the, to the, the primary producer. We also spoke to Brian Trainer, a Lackpatrick supplier in Emmyvale, County Monaghan. He gave his views on the merger. Initially, it was a bit of a surprise um, that that like Patrick was financially in some kind of straits that we didn't realize or didn't didn't we didn't really realize that we were as close uh, to a financial sort of crisis as, as as we were that happened pretty quickly but I think the board in fairness to them made a decision that in the circumstances they quickly decided that we should enter into talks with a view to merging with with some neighboring co-op so while it was a bit of a surprise at the very start, I think the right decision was made and I, on balance, was happy enough to go that way. Of course, there's concerns in a merger. I mean, we've, we've come through the process of a merge with Bally Rochean. Uh, we thought we were going the right direction and I do think we were going the right direction. But uh, unfortunately, um, I suppose we invested too heavily at one just at the one time and it became a bridge too far for us and I suppose the concern would be that something similar could happen again um, with the new merger hopefully not uh, Lakeland has a fairly strong track record of merges and um, and and getting bigger uh, successfully and uh, hopefully hopefully that this can happen again because I do think that like Patrick is still a good company uh, with a lot to offer to the new merged entity. I suppose the other, the, 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 the downside of it is that when you become part of a very big company, well then, uh, you know, governance and uh, decision making and all of that kind of thing becomes more remote from the individual farmer. Brian noted that during the Lackpatrick supplier consultation meetings on the merger, farmers expressed disappointment in how things had gone for the co-op. However, once these feelings had been vented, there was a realisation that the merger was the right thing to do, he said. Asked if he believes the merger will affect his farm and his milk price, Brian was optimistic. Well, I mean, I would hope that it will positively. I would hope it will positively. I don't see any reason why it should negatively if it's a success. I mean, obviously, there has been a process of... um, consolidation within the dairy industry in Ireland for going back a number of years and I think farmers would have even been in favour of a level of consolidation there in order to take out 
duplication uh, and to bring greater efficiencies to the industry uh, and at the end of the day that that would translate into better milk prices at farm level and I would hope that that will be I would hope that the new merged entity should be able to uh, generate greater efficiencies and 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 so translate a better milk price to the farm. In 2018, farm safety was also a key priority for farm organisations, politicians, state bodies and farming communities. But tragically, lives were still lost on Irish farms and there were many near misses. Thomas Finn is a pig and sheep farmer from County Cork. Back in July, he wrote a letter detailing his experiences of a farm accident he was in, urging fellow farmers to think safety first. I had planned to do some, um, just spraying off a bit of ground underneath an uh, electric fence and sheep wire just to kill uh, some of the weeds and that. So I had the quad prepared full, so I headed down to do it. I was just literally five minutes into the job starting off and I ended up on a piece of ground that was sloped uh, or inclined. And uh, the quad started to turn over. Like I knew it was gone, I knew it was turning over, but it was within a split second it happened. The quad was coming after me down the hill, just a small slope. It, it was rolling in my direction and I was trying to get out of its way, but it was it just caught my legs at the end of the slope and I was just caught underneath it. Then I actually thought it was going to come on top of me. It was at the bottom of the slope, so that's probably why, why it stopped really, you know, other than that. It was gone on top of me probably. My two legs were caught. I tried to get one of them free I failed to do so a couple of times, so I, got, I eventually got one of them free, which was this one, the broken one, and the other one was stuck. I don't know what I used, but I, I, I used something to leave or push the quad with my hands off. Thomas had broken his ankle in the accident. After a struggle to get free, he managed to make it back to his house with improvised crutches and call for help. After tests, a hospital consultant told him the damage. He needed to operate on it, put two screws in my leg, put the piece, which meant cutting a section of the ankle there, both there, and screwing it back together. Now on the mend, Thomas was asked why the accident happened and what he'd do differently if he was in the same situation again. It happened because I didn't fully assess where I was going with it. I left my phone after me. It happened because the quad was probably top-heavy, uh, centre of gravity changed when I was on the incline, and it happened in a split second. I caused the accident, I suppose. Do you know, I didn't assess what I was doing. Quads are dangerous. What else would I do? They'd probably take me time. Take me time, I'd, I'd assess. The, I'd be much more careful with the weight on the back. On an incline like that, you're much more vulnerable, so I'd be much more careful in what I'd be doing. You know, it only takes a split second, so. I can't really farm, I can't do anything physical. It's frustrating, it's mentally frustrating that I, I can't do day-to-day -day things. Making a cup of tea is difficult. I can't carry a cup of tea from the kittle to the... So you're trying to watch someone else do what you would do much easier or yourself or, you know, it's frustrating, so... Following his experience, we asked Thomas what his message would be for farmers. For a quad bike, like, they're a useful tool in the right area, you know. Wear your safety equipment, consider the roll bar, take your time and um, assess the ground you're travelling on. I'd be safety conscious, I'd be the same as any other lad, so I'd have walked past a hundred quad demonstrations and not looked. Since it has happened, I've heard of numerous occasions where people have been kid killed off of quads, like so. They're not, um, they're not simple. Unfortunately, another problem was rural crime, with numerous incidents of farmhouse and farmyard burglaries. Tipperary farmer and contractor Robert O'Shea was a victim of rural crime in recent years and has since become an advocate for rural crime prevention. He spoke to Agriland about his experiences. In August 14, my mother died and she was buried on the Thursday. On the following Saturday night and Sunday night, one night after the other, I was hit here in the yard. On Saturday night they came and they took diesel from the pumps here and from the tanks that are in at the back of the pumps there. They took batteries out of some of the machines and took the power tools out of the workshop. Came back on Sunday night and literally cleaned the place out. Spanners, tow chains, all the rest of the batteries. Batteries out, electric forklift out, electric cherry picker that was in the yard. Completely cleaned the place out. We estimate somewhere 20, 25,000 euros worth of stuff taken in that, okay, those two locations. After that, we um, just to, in this area now, we highlighted the situation because there was a number of crimes going on in this area. 
and it has culminated, well I won't say culminated, but it peaked with a meeting in the Anor Hotel on, in October 15 and we had over 2,000 people there. It was actually, we just looked at it as being a tool for people to vent their anger at rural crime and what was going on. Now since then the committee, of which I'm the chairman, Save Our Local Community, is still meeting. We're having a meeting actually tonight and we have in the interim we've met with the minister on two occasions and two separate occasions and we met with the Fianna Fáil party spokesman as well as that as well as all our local politicians now what has happened i suppose we are claiming and uh, we still reckon that as a result of our meeting in thorough operation document being following on from this save our local communities had a number of demands for government including electronic monitoring bail law reform a clampdown on motoring offences and collection of fines at source. None of these have been implemented to date. Criminals have all the rights and the victims have none. The government were able to rush through legislation there for zero tolerance on drink driving. But yet when it comes to criminals, they don't want to do anything. Like electronic monitoring, for example, that bill in 2005, sorry, 2016 it was put to the doll. It was supposed to have passed through the doll and it's yet not enacted. And the same with reform of bail laws. Like, and a few simple things like that, and we put it to the minister, a few simple things like that would help the police and help the guards and what they're trying to do is combat crime. Like you read there on any, most of the bigger crimes, criminals have, we had figures for that had up to 200 previous convictions. Like any guy that has 200 previous convictions and still roaming around free, there's something wrong in that society. Robert noted that Save Our Local Community is currently researching and seeking help from national institutions. The group had previously gone to government, but had been told to research figures and needed backing from an authorised body. There's a number of smaller crimes. Like, <clears throat> what's actually happening around now is that a lot of smaller crimes aren't even being reported to the Gardaí. Like, I had a friend of mine there oh, during the autumn, there during the fall sometime. This particular lady, she had two lawnmowers, hedge trimmers, an awful lot of garden stuff and her jeep emptied of diesel and she didn't even feel it worthwhile to, to report to the guard because she said it was not going to happen. Like, and if you move out a bit further, like even just down the road here, I suppose, in Thurless, there in the last three weeks, 11,000 euros worth of a quad taken from a business premises. Even I noticed there the guard figures lately were saying that crime levels are down, possibly because people aren't just bothering to report it to them. When the last government was uh, going out of office, Alan Kelly uh, granted 54,000 euro in aid to Littleton, Burgess and Burt Hill now for CCTV cameras. Now the cameras, if you pass through Littleton then you'll see the cameras up but don't actually active yet because there's no one to monitor them because of the GDPR. Uh, like I mean that's the complete joke. Like I mean it's, and we're told again that it needs legislation. Once again the criminal is getting away because legislation hasn't been passed through the door. Rory and Sean Dyle featured on Agriland earlier this year when their tractor and a neighbour's trailer were stolen from their farm on January 12th. Luckily, it was retrieved a few weeks later. The new tractor had been parked inside a locked shed for the night and the Dyles estimated that it was stolen at around 7pm. Well, on that particular night, we, um, we were only after leaving the farm and I was going swimming and Barry was going, my brother was going to the gym I think and Daddy was going to shopping port or something like that. And I think I was in front of it or behind it and Daddy just missed it. So it was around, we closed around five, half five, maybe near, near six. So it was probably around half six that it was, it was stolen, maybe closer to seven. The perpetrators attempted to unhook the trailer but were unsuccessful and made their exit through a field beside the farmyard, knocking straw bales on the way. Locals noticed the trailer travelling with no lights on. Out the gate and had no lights on the trailer. They went around the yard, they came out of this shed, which was locked. So they broke the locks and locked the door and uh, let back down the door, but they didn't plug in the lights. And the, the, obviously there was a trailer on it, but they tried to get the trailer off of it. They must have been able to get it off because they weren't able to get a stand down and they tried putting the brush, they broke a handle of a brush and stuff. The Dials run a farm business, Rock Farm Feeds and the tractor and trailer were noticed missing early the following morning, when deliveries were just about to start. The Gardaí were notified immediately. Rory also started a campaign on Facebook. The following morning, when Amanda Walkthrough has came in, and he uh, 
collected other tractor and trailer and went on for his load of meal, but he didn't know there was anything wrong. He well, knew the gave it two, open. There was two loads to be got that morning and Connor came in and he took well, he took the, my tractor, the one I was going to be using, and when I came over then to get, well, Barry actually got before me, and he rang me, he says, are you gone? I says, no, I'm not gone. And then, obviously, we figured out that there something was amiss then, like. There was a door broken on the shed, but other than that, there was not much damage done, like, because they had opened the door, but they had closed it back down again yeah. after them. The trailer was retrieved 10 days later. All markings and the cover had been removed. Well, I suppose it was Facebook really did it, it was the best best thing we put on Facebook that morning and within a day or so like we had it got to about Killaloo somewhere or a couple of days anyway and like everyone was so helpful on Facebook like they were really really helpful like. The tractor was discovered almost a week after this. The mudguard and side panel were damaged as well as GPS wires. The robbery had a big effect on the dials. The guards yeah. were Trojan work, yeah, very, very good work, yeah. Couldn't say a thing bad about them, like, you know. Yeah. Like, we hard. got so far ourselves, like, between us and the guards, like, you know. But um, I suppose if we didn't keep at it ourselves, I probably would have never got it, like, because guards can only do so much, I suppose. And we had it on every social media thing, like, it was big enough, like, you know, there had to be something done about it, like, you know. There was a huge importance to us because we were only after buying the six months previously and we were paying the second payment on a, a week after it being stolen. So that was an enormous, imagine having to pay a repayment and no tractor. It was a, it was a, it was a good achievement to have the two tractors, like, and then to have someone to bloody come in and take it on you, you know. You work so hard to get it and someone comes in and does that to you, like, it's not really fair, but sure. Arrests were made, but no case has been heard. In the meantime, the Dials have implemented more security measures on their farm. We have improved the security around the place now. We've put in a new rolling system on the gates now that are locked Electric up. gates, like. Or electric gates, much more secure, because the there was only a chain on it previously, and the chain is easily cut, as you know yourself. And we also put in concrete walls around the, on, the, on the field part of the, of the yard as well. So they couldn't the whole yard is enclosed now. It's like, enclosed now. Completely like. like and we still have other things to do, like we're not finished yet, but it just costs so much money, like, you know. Mm -hmm. Now, looking ahead to 2019, apart from Brexit, what will the main talking points be? Live exports or the rollout of a biogas industry? Live cattle exports are vital to the Irish beef industry. Exporting cattle out of Ireland provides more competition at the ringside and when it comes to cattle available for slaughter. Data from Bia indicates that live cattle exports up to October 14 this year were running over 49,000 a head or 30% higher than in the corresponding period in 2017. While this is a significant increase on 2017 levels, it must be noted that the biggest contributor to this growth was the number of calves originating from the dairy herd that were shipped to European countries. The chief importers of Irish dairy calves are Spain and the Netherlands, and these markets have seen excessive growth in 2018. Other markets for these type of animals include Belgium, Italy, France and Northern Ireland. Aside from the dairy calf market, the outlook for other live cattle exports in early 2018 was promising. This positive outlook was mostly driven by the prospect of exporting a large quantity of cattle to Turkey. This would be helped by the opening of the market to private sector buyers in Turkey. Over 6,800 fewer cattle have been shipped to Turkish shores this year. In addition, the total number exported to Libya in 2018 stands at 4,500 head. However, a boatload of bulls is expected to leave County Cork in two weeks, destined for Libyan shores. The number of live cattle exported to our neighbouring country, Britain, is running slightly behind last year's levels, but not by much. Other destinations in Europe for Irish cattle include Italy, Poland, Germany, Greece, Hungary, Portugal, Romania, Slovakia and the Czech Republic. Meanwhile, other non-EU destinations in 2018 were the Lebanon, Morocco, Russia, Rwanda and Tunisia. Each and every one of these markets, no matter how big or small, is crucial for both the dairy and beef industries going forward. The value of these exports cannot be underestimated. Preventing animals from entering the Irish beef production system will mean that they will not be available for slaughter in Irish processing plants in the future. This week, we travelled to Billy Costello's biogas plant in Nurney, County Kildare, to see what biogas is all about. We're a farming company and we set up a biogas plant. So we take in the pig slurry, we take in waste food and we take in belly grass and products like that. We mix it all together into a soup, put it into the large digesters, which are just big tanks. It goes to the top of the tank, 
and the gas goes down and runs an engine which makes electricity and heat. So we use ele the electricity goes to the grid and is sold and the heat is used on the farm to heat the pigs. Last week, Gas Networks Ireland's Green Renewable Agricultural Zero Emissions Gas Project or Grey's Gas Project in County Cork was selected as one of seven initiatives to receive investment under the government's Climate Action Fund. Biogas contains methane and CO2 and you put it through a piece of equipment which takes the CO2 out. So now what you're left with is exactly the same as what comes up out of the Carlob gas field or Kinsale. The Grey's Gas Project Plan involves the development of a central grid injection facility where renewable gas will enter the national gas grid. The Grey's Gas Project in County Cork has the potential to supply renewable gas to over 56,000 homes. This biogas will be created by mixing silage, slurry and other organic materials that will be sourced on Irish farms. In Kuwait, where we have all the oil in Saudi Arabia, when they take oil up out of the ground, it won't replace itself for about a million years. So we can replace our green oil every six weeks. So we have a replenished product that's there growing without even thinking about it. Every other European country has a biomethane industry where they take agricultural products like grass, turn it into biomethane and inject it into the gas grid. And we should be doing the same in Ireland. There's not a really economic sense in bringing wood chip from the United States and transporting it to Lanesborough 35% of the energy goes out as electricity and 65% of it goes as hot water into the River Shannon. If you had a, a large digester in Lanesborough, instead of the um, biomass plant, you could take in thousands of tonnes of silage and the workers who worked in Bordemona let them continue driving tractors, cutting the silage, drawing it in. A farmer benefits because he has a, another income. He, If a farmer is cutting the silage for a biogas plant and he's getting... 30 euros a ton. So if a fa suckler farmer with 100 acres put half his land over to grow on grass for a biogas plant, he'll have an income. We have a grid around the country which is available like our electricity grid to take gas. It stores it. You can put gas in in County Cavan and you can take it out in County Cork. You know, it doesn't make any difference and the system is there. Let's use the gas grid that has been developed. Billy explains that he believes the government must introduce a renewable energy feed-in tariff or refit tariff to make biogas a more attractive option. I see no future for biogas in Ireland unless the minister decides to give a, a refit subsidy. If we built 60-odd biomethane plants, we wouldn't pay any levy 200 million in 2020. And at the same time, we'd be able to give the equivalent of about 150 million to dry stock farmers and silage growers, you would take only 2 or 3% of the grassland of Ireland and you would solve our problem. Now, Ireland imports 7 billion euros worth of carbon fuel every year. Other countries could be buying our surplus credits. Our gas pipeline joins to all of Europe. So green gas put in in County Kildare today can be taken out in Switzerland tomorrow. Finally, with the expansion of the dairy herd set to continue, we at Agriland are looking forward to collaborating with Chagask in 2019. Earlier today, the second phase of the Chagask Green Acres Calf to Beef programme was launched in Grange, County Mead by Chagask Director Professor Jerry Boyle. The second phase of the programme will demonstrate profitable dairy calf to beef systems on a whole farm basis through a network of 12 to 14 demonstration farms. This is a really critically important programme for the simple reason that the income levels on beef farms are not satisfactory. I mean, the situation is that the dairy income is roughly twice, three times in fact last year, uh, the beef income. So we, we, what this programme is all about is driving on uh, productivity on farms to increase farmers' income. Now in the last phase, or the first phase of, of the calf to beef programme, we saw really good performance income-wise on the participating farms. So we'd expect, on average, the participating farms in the new round will do as well. Like last time, over the three years of their programme, they generated an additional 500 euro per hectare of gross margin, and actually about the same in net margin, which is surprising, but it's simply because they were starting out from such a low base in terms of net margin. Now that's on top of then their single farm payment. And that's critical. You're not eating into the single farm payment. so. For the participating farms, we expect them to generate significant increases in their income. Agrand has been chosen as the media partner for the second phase of the programme. 
This is the first digital-only media partnership ever undertaken by Chagas. What's really important about this programme this time round, and with the help of Agriland in particular, we're going to be disseminating this to a wider group of farmers. In the first instance, farmers that are involved with Chagas as clients will work with all of those uh, participating farms. There are 12 farms up and down the country that are going to be participating, but each of those will host four times a year 30 more farmers. So we're going to get the messages out in a very intimate way to about 400 farmers straight off. But then the key will be the wider dissemination of the results through the videos, through the newsletters, through the technical sheets and everything that we'll be producing in a digital format that farmers can pick up on their mobile phones. Um, that's where we hope to have the wider impact. The Green Acres Calf to Beef programme is supported by six industry partners who are funding the programme. We couldn't do this in Chagas without the sponsorship, and like the sponsorship is, is is critical. Like you know, we have we have Drummonds, for example. We have Liffey's, We have MSD Animal Health. We have Volac, and on, on and in addition, we have TP Wheelin, and we have the Munster Cattle Breeding Group, and of course, we have Agriland as media partners. So look, that's critical not only to supply the the, the resources uh, in in term uh, in terms of cash and in kind indeed expertise and so on but it's critical to have the industry involved with with farmers particularly the processors but not only the process all the other varied interests because they all have a role to play in driving incomes on farm and they also have a role to play in understanding the kind of difficulties that farmers are going to face uh, you know in the farming situation like this year is a very good example and it's very good to have those uh, agri industries involved i think for that reason as well Given the growth of the Irish dairy herd and the subsequent Holstein Frisian and Angus calves that are available for beef production, the Grange dairy calf to beef herd is of fundamental importance to the industry. Today, Chagas Nicky Byrne gave an overview of the dairy calf to beef herd in Grange. So it's um, a complete farm system study and within that we're looking at three different animal genotype groups. So we have our Holstein Frisian group, uh, we have two Angus treatments in, both of low and high carcass conformation and, and carcass weight on their, their Eurostar figures. And, and then within the Frisian uh, group, we also have selected um, you know, for both high and low um, EBI uh, beef sub-index. So we're you know, looking at the contribution that these animals are going to be run in three independent farmlets, and we're going to look at their, you know, the, the genotype effect on the overall profitability um, of, of the group. And we're also going to have elements of you know, grassland research, different calf rearing strategies, as well incorporated into this overall system study. Holstein freezing steers will be slaughtered at 24 months of age, while Aberdeen Angus will be finished slightly earlier. All inputs and outputs will be recorded for the systems. The overall is going to be a 24 month steer um, system that we're implementing here. So I suppose to get a complete a full cycle of it, we're probably, probably going to be two years in. But I suppose we have, you know, nearly one year completed now so far. And, you know, we, we'll be, um, I suppose, in the next y year, we, we'll be able to get some results out there. Um, we should have sufficient data to, to, um, to report back on. That's it for season one of Farmland. Thank you all for watching. We'll leave you with a special Christmas message from the Agriland team. See you again in the new year. And on the eighth day, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a caretaker. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody willing to sit up all night with a newborn colt and watch it die and dry his eyes and say, maybe next year. I need somebody who can shape an axe handle from a persimmon sprout, shoe a horse with a hunk of car tire, who can make harness out of hay wire feed sacks and shoe scraps, who planting time and harvest season will finish his 40-hour week by Tuesday noon and then pain in from tractor back, put in another 72 hours. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to yean lambs and wean pigs and tend the pink-combed pullets who will stop his mower for an hour to splint the broken leg of a meadowlark. So God made a farmer.
It had to be somebody who'd plow deep and straight and not cut corners. Somebody to seed, weed, feed, breed, and rake, and disc, and plow, and plant, and tie the fleece, and strain the milk. Somebody who'd bail a family together with the soft, strong bonds of sharing. Who would laugh, and then sigh, and then reply with smiling eyes when his son says that he wants to spend his life doing what dad does. So God made a farmer. <laughs>